Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the authorities, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, that through believing you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you. There is an old joke amongst organizational boards that the surest way to get elected as an officer is to not attend the meeting where the elections occur, or to step out to use the bathroom, or just step out to grab a cup of coffee. On a more serious note, most of us have been in situations, whether in our families or as part of communities or on organizational boards, when we have to be away for a while and when we come back, something has changed. And our first impulse is to say, well, no one asked me if it was okay. No one told me that this was going to happen. And we tend to get a little bit one-uppity about it. Now, this never happens at Church of Our Savior, of course. Today's readings are all about community in Christ, and they are about 
the reconciled community. Luke hands us this almost idyllic example of the early Christian community, the story of a community that came together and held everything in common, and they all loved each other, and all was right with them and God and the world. It is an image, incidentally, that many Christian communities across the ages have tried to imitate in one way, shape, or form, particularly religious communities. You see this in the early Benedictine models and the later Franciscan models, and I could go on and on and on and on. The thing is, we always forget that it's only two chapters later that troubles begin. The perfect community only lasts for a little while. And then the arguments start. In the book of Acts, it's an argument about whether everyone is getting their fair share of the distribution of the resources of the community. Sound familiar? It's an old problem. And we're not immune from it, even though we call ourselves Christian. The other image of community, of course, is the one that we get from the gospel, where the risen Christ appears to his followers, even though they are trapped behind locked doors and they are in fear in case the temple authorities come after them. Christ comes and he bids them peace, and then he gives them an awesome responsibility, the power to forgive or retain sins. Now, I have a hunch. It's just a hunch. It's not scholarly research, so take it with a grain of salt, that because we get this story right before the story of Thomas, our tradition has sometimes thought that Thomas's doubts are all about sin at some level. But I like to see these as two separate stories. Jesus gives the Easter community the power to proclaim God's forgiveness to a world that so desperately needs to hear it. And it is in the context of Jesus appearing to them embodied in the flesh, bearing witness to the power of God to conquer all death. Thomas's story comes after that and is separate because we have to remember who Thomas is in the Gospel of John. He's the one who is always willing to ask the questions that everyone else has, but no one is willing to voice. You all know people like this, right? You've all served on boards of organizations with people like this, right? The ones who are always willing to ask the tough questions. But I think sometimes Thomas gets a bit of a bad rap because it's in his questions that he finds faith. In the Brotherhood of St. Gregory, one of the things that we study is the vow of chastity. Now, in the West in particular, chastity has become very narrowly interpreted in a lot of quarters as something to do with sensuality or even sexuality. But chastity, as we learned it, 
comes out of the monastic tradition and the Franciscan tradition, uh, to us in particular through the writings of Francis de Sales, a Capuchin Franciscan who lived in the 17th century and wrote a book for the laity. And he paints, um, the book incidentally is entitled The Devout Life, and he paints a wonderful picture of chastity um, with a story about a monk who led a celibate life in a monastery and was very proud of his own chastity. So proud, in fact, that he constantly bragged that he had never laid even but a finger on another human being. And yet all of his brothers knew that he was the most manipulative, conniving, difficult, I refrain from expletives to describe him, of all the brothers. In fact, Francis de Sales uses him as an illustration to say he was the most unchaste in the community. That is to say, chastity is meant to be understood as learning to live with everyone without trying to possess or dominate or control them. Think about that for a minute. And think about all the ways that we have had to deal with unchastity, both in ourselves and in others. A lot of problems in human relationship can boil down to that. And then come back to Thomas. And think about Thomas in light of a teaching about chastity. Thomas could have done what we often do when we encounter something we don't like in community, or we miss a meeting and we feel out of the loop. He could have said to his fellow disciples, you're full of it, I'm walking, I'm done with this Jesus thing, see ya. He could have said, I'm not coming back into fellowship until I see proof. But do you see what happens? He's in fellowship when Jesus appears. Or he could have just clammed up and retreated into a corner like a good Episcopalian. When you don't like something, you disappear. Right? That often happens. More than I care to admit. But no, instead, Thomas is chaste in that he articulates his problem and his question like he has always done. When Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life in another passage in John, it's Thomas who confronts him with a question. Jesus says, you know the way to where I am going. Thomas says, no, no, we don't. Tell me more. Thomas is the one who's willing to speak up and remain present. And even though he's not sure he is ready yet to believe about the resurrected Christ, he puts out there what he's thinking and feeling, and he shows up. And Christ meets him. He says, reach out, touch my wounds. Not see and believe, but touch and believe. Thomas's doubt is what leads him to faith. 
And if you think about it for very long, it's when we hold our questions authentically and honestly and with some humility that our faith is deepened. That, my brothers and sisters in Christ, is about chastity. Because chastity is about putting aside all of our judgments and our snap decisions and being opened to the grace of God at work among us. Thomas knows that the opposite of faith isn't doubt, it's certainty. Thomas refuses the easy certainties of Jesus is dead and embraces a hope. His doubts are a pathway to the faithful life and a witness to us. Something that our Christian brothers and sisters of the East have known for centuries, Thomas has become equated, particularly in the Eastern Church, with wisdom. In fact, there's a whole non-canonical gospel attributed to Thomas. It's a series of wisdom teachings of Jesus. And there is a whole church in India named after Thomas and the traditions that grew around him in what happens after the stories of the Gospels when Thomas carries the message of Christ and Christ's resurrection in mission to people outside of the Eastern Mediterranean. True faith, holding our questions in love, listening to one another's doubts, and articulating our own in community together. These are all the hallmarks of the Easter community that Christ leaves behind. It is a community that is marked by that peace that Jesus keeps articulating over and against fear amongst his first followers. It is that community that bears witness to life and above all love that conquers all death, brings about forgiveness for a world in need, and gives us the power to say in this Easter season, my Lord and my God. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing community welcoming those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907, search for us online, or visit our website at OurSaviorMillValley.org. We wish you God's peace. We hope to greet you in person very soon.